Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Business Week, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. The Pentagon is among the many American institutions trying to get green. But should it be? Today on the podcast, we look at what the U.S. military wants to do, and what it is doing in regards to climate change. Hello and welcome back once again to Parts Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So there's a term in the military world called mission creep, and basically it refers to when the scope of one's goals slowly creeps outward and eventually gets way too broad without anyone noticing. Is the Pentagon getting into mission creep territory when it comes to climate change? Some Republicans on Capitol Hill think so. Last year, 12 GOP senators sent a letter to General Mark Milley, the Biden administration's Joint Chiefs Chairman, saying that the Pentagon's climate adaptation plan is distracting from its mission to maintain a, quote, ready and lethal force. Milley and the rest of the Biden administration beg to differ. They say not only is it not a distraction, but actually working on climate issues makes the military more ready and more lethal. That's what we're going to be talking about today with Bloomberg Law reporter Stephen Lee. He's been doing reporting on what the Pentagon is doing to reduce its own carbon footprint and also what it's doing to get ready for the effects of global climate change. And on that second point, I asked Stephen to explain to me a war game the military recently conducted called a Black Start Exercise. That is when the military basically pulls the plug on the power at a military base and then they try to start it back up to see how resilient they are. You know, a lot of military facilities draw on the same power grid that we all use. So if there's a blackout, they need to know that the really mission critical systems uh, that are crucial for, you know, homeland security, national defense are still running on backup power and also that they can come back online quickly. So they're trying to find weaknesses in the system. And it's, you know, this goes to the Pentagon's overall push to install microgrids so that they're less reliant on the sort of public utility network. And it's something that they've been doing for a while. They, they've, they've been gathering information to switch to 24-7 clean energy, uh, which would include both renewables and nuclear. And they're trying to source this at a reasonable price. And they've gone big on solar. And, and what they say, really a big theme of the Defense Department's overall push here, is that why are we doing this stuff? It's because it makes us a deadlier fighting force. They consistently say that. Yeah, it's a means to an end. It's not the, the end itself. Um, tell me more about sea level rise, though. That's something that you wrote about, too. You're talking about uh, some of these military bases that are in low-lying areas then uh, there's some talk. It sounds like it's just talk, but there's some talk of moving these bases. What's going on here? It is it is a reality that, that obviously that they would prefer not to do that. Moving a base would be obviously a huge thing to do. You know, they'd have to get a lot of funding. They'd have to get environmental permits. There would be a ton of pushback from the local community that relies on that base for their 
uh, economy. So, and the, the politicians that represent those local communities. Exactly. So they they would rather not do that, um, which is why right now they're they're focusing on the the same kinds of resiliency steps that everyone else takes, which would be building levees, you know, hardening the infrastructure, in some cases raising the buildings and roads. But as you say, they are talking internally about moving bases if they had to, because it, it is a real problem that they are seeing. One of the bases that you mentioned was this uh, uh, Marine Corps facility at Paris Island, which is a really famous base where a lot of Marine Corps go to get trained. Uh, I'm sure if you're a Marine, you uh, probably will never forget your time at Paris Island. But that's one of the, the places that they're thinking about, you know, uh, moving, right? They have said that two-thirds of their installations across the country are threatened by flooding, drought, or wildfires. And they have seen the impacts of climate change with their own eyes. They, 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 they have uh, had um, you know, major damage happening at places like Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. That was hit by Hurricane Florence in 2018. It cost about $3.5 billion. And then a month later, Tyndall Air Force Base in Florida was hit by Hurricane Michael. That was about price tag on that was about four and a half billion dollars. So it is happening. They are seeing it right now. Wow. Um, so let's now move on to what the military is doing to address its own contribution to climate change. Um, you talked about uh, you know several things. Can you highlight a few of the things that the military is doing? One of the things that caught my eye was it seems like they're really trying to electrify all of their vehicles and move toward. Uh, you know, electric tanks, electric armored vehicles. What's the status on that? That is something that they really do want to do. And again, the, they they say that the reason they do that is because it it makes them more effective at completing their mission, right? If you have an electric vehicle that is, as they say, forward deployed, then you don't have to have tankers going out to try to supply them. Uh, it reduces your vulnerability because, you know, electric vehicles have a lower or a smaller heat profile, and so they're harder for the enemy to spot. And as everyone who's driven on the road knows, electric vehicles are quieter. Exactly. Right, right. So, again, it's all about the mission, uh, you know, becoming a more effective fighting force. But there's lots of other things that the Pentagon is trying to do you know, uh, to 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 sort of green their operations. Some of them are really minor, like adding uh, sort of fins to the aircraft to make them, you know, more aerodynamic and using less fuel. You, I think you wrote about how they uh, they're at some bases they're just not mowing the grass there to turn it into more of a carbon sink and let you know trees and forests grow. That's it's a much a small thing, but yeah, that does actually help reduce their their carbon footprint. Yeah, it's a good example of uh, uh, you know uh, an effort that they are taking that is not a big ticket item, but the entire Pentagon is really bought into this, and they are really trying just kind of across the board. And then there's big ticket items too, right? Like there's a lot of uh, funding that is going towards R and D, different kinds of batteries, um, different kinds of fuels, you know, and as you say, moving bases, hardening bases. Uh, so it's just really there's there's it's a very broad range of activities that are going on, and then there's also kind of strategic exercises, right? War game planning that they're doing to make sure that they are prepared for 
a sudden typhoon that comes up in the middle of a naval exercise, that kind of thing. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. So the Pentagon is bought in, as you say, but not everyone is happy about that. Uh, You reported that around a dozen or so Republican lawmakers signed a letter saying that uh, the Pentagon should not be doing this. This is uh, distracting from the mission and a waste of money. Can you talk a little bit about the the criticism there? Um, What's the, the argument that they're making? Well, the letter that you're referring to uh, came from 12 Republican senators last October. It was led by Jim Inhofe. We know where he stands on uh, climate change. Senator Senator Snowball. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, And Senator Roger Wicker uh, at the time said that the Pentagon's move towards climate adaptation is part of what he called a woke agenda. So that is the kind of messaging that you sometimes hear from Republicans. But I actually think that in general... Most Republicans do seem to be on board with these efforts. They, they seem to get that DOD needs to respond to coastal flooding that's inundating bases. They seem to get that there does need to be more R&D to, for instance, help soldiers who are suffering from extreme heat in the Middle East and Asia. And they want to make sure that the military is strong and capable. But as you say, I mean, there is this kind of messaging that the military needs to focus on fighting wars, defeating the enemy, let's set aside some of this green stuff. Is it possible that that messaging could take root and sort of that the whole issue could become politicized and that those sorts of provisions get stripped out of uh, the budget? I mean, I think that given how politicized the issue of climate change already is, I don't think we can rule it out. But to this point, it feels to me as though the Pentagon has done a good job of framing this as, you know, of of making the military case for funding. And that, I think, is what you need to do to get Republicans on board. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think about this until just now, but it's worth pointing out that, you know, a dozen Republican senators signed on to this, but there are 50 Republican senators in Congress right now. Uh, That means that a majority of the Republican caucus probably saw this letter and said, I don't want to sign this. So that kind of speaks for itself. Um, There was one piece of criticism from a a Republican, this is in the House here in one of your stories, that I wanted to address because it seemed like it was not just the typical sort of partisan back and forth. This was from Republican Michael Waltz, who's on the Armed Services Committee. He mentioned that 
a lot of the rare earth metals that are needed for solar panels and needed for uh, batteries that are going to be potentially going into these electric tanks are, are controlled by China. And that, that doing this sort of increases the military's reliance on China, which could potentially be an adversary. What do you think about that? Is that does he have a point there, or is this more sort of just uh, sort of partisan posturing? Well, I think he does have a point. Uh, the U.S. does not have a very mature rare earth mining industry. A lot of these min- minerals are 100% imported from you know mostly China, but also other nations like Australia and Canada, Kazakhstan. So it's a legitimate point, and the Biden administration gets that. They are trying to kickstart some semblance of a domestic rare earth mining sector because they know that the U.S. is so reliant on a foreign supply chain, not just for the military. So they've given grants to private companies. They have made investments to try to create an end-to-end domestic supply chain that would include not just the mining, but also the processing of, you know, lithium, cobalt, nickel, whatever. And and they're also funding research to get some of these rare earths from other sources, like maybe we can extract it from uh, coal mining waste. And all of this has been going on actually for several administrations. But the problem is that it is hard to create an entire industry from scratch especially if it has to compete with a very mature industry overseas that is supplying these minerals for very cheap. There, There is a global market for these rare earths where you can buy it for not that much. And so how do you compete with that? And also, I mean, this is like stupidly obvious, but uh, it's called rare earth for a reason. You know, these aren't abundant materials that are easy to, to mine. Um, finally, Let's get into the $3.1 billion. That's how much the uh, Biden administration asked Congress to give it uh, for you know, climate adaptation and climate investments uh, in the coming fiscal year that starts October 1st. Is it going to get that much? Is it going to get less? Or is Congress going to give it more than it asked for here? What do you think? Well, you know, whenever we're talking about appropriations, it's just very hard to say. But yeah. I think there is a good chance. It's kind of strange to say that because we know that Congress always pushes back on um, the president's budget, but it is the military. Right. And we we also know that the military is often an exception when it comes to funding. I think that in general, it's fair to say that congressional appropriators like to give the Pentagon money. And I think, again, one of the keys for the Pentagon here will be to make the case that this money is going to be used to improve its ability to fight and win wars. And I think that that kind of messaging could persuade some of Biden's opponents that the $3.1 billion is necessary. And to this point, it it seems to me as though they've been doing a pretty good job of that. Mm. All right. Well, that was Stephen Lee talking about the greening of the military. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much for uh, joining us. This was great. Thanks, David. And that's it for today's episode of Parts Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, check us out on Twitter. We use the handle at environment. I'm at David B. Schultz. That's B as in fireworks blowing up in my neighborhood and keeping me awake at night. Today's episode of Parts Per Billion was produced by myself, David Schultz. Parts Per Billion was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle and is edited by Zach Sherwood and Chuck McCutcheon. Our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Taxes and accounting are complicated, but finding a good tax podcast shouldn't be. 
listen to Talking Tax, the podcast that breaks down all of these issues on a weekly basis. Every Thursday, Talking Tax will explain the latest issues for you, from corporate filings to diversity within the profession, and even the latest on the burgeoning cannabis industry. Download and subscribe to Bloomberg Tax's Talking Tax, wherever you get your podcasts. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.